This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this evening is from Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44. We read this evening verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8 of Isaiah 44. Hear the word of God. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who, as I, shall call? and shall declare it, and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people, and the things that are coming, and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word on the basis of this portion of Scripture as well as on the basis of all of God's word. We have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. And today we turn to Lord's Day 27 where we find the Heidelberg Catechism's instruction on baptism. In Lord's Day 26, we found the positive instruction and now in Lord's Day 27, The Catechism, as is characteristic of this Reformed Confession, defends the truth against error. Lord's Day 27, page 15, we find this question, is is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? The answer, not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus, not without great cause to it, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and Spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign he may assure us 
that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins, as really as we are externally washed with water. Are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they as well as the adult are included in the covenant and church of God, and since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult. They must therefore by baptism as a sign of the covenant be also admitted into the Christian church, be distinguished from the children of believers as was done in the old covenant or testament by circumcision instead of which baptism is instituted in the new covenant. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ in Lord's Day 27, the catechism is polemical. That means the catechism brings up fighting words against errors of the truth. So that in defense of the truth, God's Word and the Reformed Confession here not only teach the truth positively, but explains, identifies the errors and shows how they are wrong, that God's people may be confirmed in the truth of His Word. Tonight, the Catechism leads us to do battle against the errors that come against the truth of baptism. A couple of weeks ago, we as a congregation considered Lord's Day 26, where, as I mentioned, the Catechism gave us a positive explanation of baptism. And I remind you of the three points which baptism especially pictures, as the Catechism explained it. Number one, it shows us the entrance of God's people into covenant with God especially at the point of regeneration. We saw that baptism is a sign of the covenant and how God joins us by a bond to Jesus Christ so that we might have friendship and fellowship with Him. Baptism, secondly, shows a washing of guilt away. That guilt of sin is washed away by the precious blood of Christ. That all those who are in covenant with God on the washing away of their sins or the forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Christ alone. And third, baptism shows the Holy Spirit. Water of baptism is a picture of the Spirit which washes away the power, the corrupting power of sin that is in us so that sin no longer rules over the hearts of His people. The Catechism gave that positive explanation of baptism. And now moving to Lord's Day 27, it identifies for us two main errors which attack this truth of baptism. The first one, which we are not going to focus on this morning, this evening, but briefly speak of now, is the error of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the error that is commonly identified as baptismal regeneration. In question and answers 72 and 73, the Catechism addresses that Roman Catholic error when it asks whether the water of baptism itself washes away sin. Essentially, the question is whether the church, a church institute like this one, or the church institute like a church institute like a Roman Catholic church, has the power to wash away sin. 
when it administers the sacrament? And the clear answer is no, no. Only Christ, by His blood, washes away sin, and the Holy Spirit removes that power of sin. In other words, God alone saves the blood of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, not the church institute. Why then does the Scriptures speak of baptism as the washing of regeneration? Well, the answer is simple. The language is figurative, as is characteristic of the sacrament. Baptism pictures the washing of regeneration. It pictures the washing away of sin by the blood of Christ. And it is meant to assure God's people of this work of salvation, not done by the church, but by Jesus Christ, His blood and spirit. This evening, however, we do not focus on the Roman Catholic error of baptismal regeneration, but we focus rather on the second error brought up in Lord's Day 27, question and answer 74. It's the error of the Baptist church. And at the occasion of infant baptism this evening, it is appropriate and necessary to defend infant baptism. This is necessary because baptism is for the comfort, the comfort of the church. And what the Baptist doctrine does is it removes part of the comfort of the church which baptism is supposed to show. That's how serious this error is. The comfort of the gospel is not only that God justifies me. It is that. But it's not only that. The comfort of the gospel is not only that God washes away my own personal sins. But the comfort of the gospel is that He saves His church as a covenant community. He saves us together as an organism, as a whole. He saves us and our children. The text that we read tonight in Isaiah chapter 44 shows us that this is part of the church's comfort. Notice in Isaiah 44, verse 2, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Don't fear. And thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. And then he explains why not fear. What is the comfort? For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Hear the comfort that God gives to the church as a whole, of salvation to us and our children. That's supposed to be revealed at baptism. And against the Baptist, therefore, tonight we say, you remove from the sign of baptism Part of that which God intends to be the, for the comfort of us, God's people. That's wrong. That, that's sin. That is heresy. The Budget Confession, Article 34, puts it strongly. We detest the error of the Anabaptists who condemn the baptism of the infants of believers. 
doesn't say we detest the Anabaptist himself, but the error which removes from the sign of baptism part of the comfort of the church. It's important to defend the truth of infant baptism against the Baptists, I say, because this is part of the comfort displayed at baptism, but also this. This is so necessary because I think our young people and even God's people who are not young are attracted to Baptist churches today and their teaching. And that's understandably so because undeniably there are Baptist brothers and sisters. And even this is proper to acknowledge that there are Baptists that have strengths that we don't have. Their piety, their evangelism, their defense of six-day creation, some Baptists and their Calvinistic holdings are very impressive. And we may even learn from them. For many of these Baptists, those that even call themselves Reformed Baptists, are stronger in the faith than those who are or call themselves Reformed of today. But the danger in acknowledging that Baptists have such strengths is that we begin perhaps to minimize this serious error which removes one of the comforting promises that God would have His church see at baptism. So with that, consider the doctrine of infant baptism and the defense of it under the theme, God's promise to pour water upon thy seed. You notice the language from Isaiah 44. And first, the promise at baptism. Second, the errors of Baptists. And then finally, the the resulting confession. What we read in Isaiah 44, verse 3, especially verse 3, is is what needs to be highlighted this evening, is a promise of God to His church. And it's a promise that obviously needs to be shown at baptism. Notice the words clearly prove that it needs to be seen at baptism. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and then parallel to the water that God promises to pour out is what the water signifies, what the water pictures. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. This is not the only proof text against the Baptist arguments, but it is one of the strongest proof texts that destroys the Baptist arguments against infant baptism. It shows clearly that God intends that baptism, the pouring out of water, ought to be administered to not only adults, but their seed, their offspring, as Isaiah speaks of here. Isaiah prophesies to the church of the Old Testament here, whom he calls Jacob and Israel. And then that term of endearment that we find often in in the Old Testament prophets, Jeshurun. The word Jeshurun is a term of endearment that means righteous one. So here we find God calling the church Jacob, Israel, and His righteous one. 
That's significant because Isaiah prophesies to the church during a time of great sin. The church was apostatizing. It strayed time and time again from, from God and His Word, His commandments, and had gone to serve idols. And Isaiah had even prophesied in the earlier part of his prophecy of how they would be brought into captivity, the Babylonian captivity, for 70 years as a result of their great sins. But in the second half of Isaiah, and now here in Isaiah 44, he comforts this same people, the church, in captivity. And though they are great sinners, he calls them righteous. And you know why? Because regarding both the church of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament, God sees us as righteous in Jesus Christ, His Son. He promises in chapter 43, just a few verses back from where we read, verse 25, of the washing away of sins. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. And then in the chapter that we read, the emphasis is on the Spirit. The Spirit poured out upon His forgiven people so that the power of sin is washed away. Isaiah is prophesying of the coming Messiah and what He would do for His church. In verse 3, He is especially prophesying of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit being poured out upon His people. But now a crucial question. Upon whom does God promise to pour out His Holy Spirit? Upon whom? The answer is that He promises to pour out His Holy Spirit upon the church, upon His covenant community. That's who Israel and Jacob and Jeshurun is. But a question to follow. Who is included in that church? Who is included in that covenant community? Does the church only include adults? The Catechism says, they, that is, infants, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God. And says that on the basis of Scripture, one of which we read here in Isaiah 44. The church includes the seed, the, the offspring of those adults. I will pour my spirit upon them. And oh, how those promises of God in Isaiah 44 were accomplished, and especially accomplished, fulfilled when Christ came. The Messiah, remember, came from this dry ground, which Isaiah prophesies. He came out of the sinful, dry church. A root out of the dry ground, Isaiah 53 later on says. To be rejected of men to suffer all his life, and then to be as that lamb brought to the slaughter on the cross. And having died for his people, 
for His church, His covenant community. He rose from the dead and fulfills this prophecy of the outpouring of His Holy Spirit, especially on Pentecost. For the promise, Acts 2.39, is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This promise was and is a great comfort for the church. Think about how it was a comfort for the, for the church of the Old Testament. Put yourself, parents, in the place of the remnant that was God's people, yet in the church of Israel and Judah, as they were being brought to Babylon, brought to captivity, and knew that they were going to stay there for 70 years. What did they think about? What were they afraid about? What did they care about? It wasn't just, will God preserve me and the adults? But it was, what about our children? What about Daniel? What about my Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah? What about the young people? What about the next generation of the church of Jesus Christ? That's what we think as well, along with those Old Testament people. Will God have mercy upon us even though as fathers and mothers we're so sinful? What is the future of the church? And God, for the comfort of His people, says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. I will pour out my Spirit upon thy seed, thy offspring. This is my word of promise. That's what verse 6 is saying. It will not fail. It's unchangeable. I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Baptism today, the sacrament, along with God's Word that we hear, is God's way of displaying this very same promise to save His people even when they are in the midst of the Babylon of this world. Isn't that what you ask as parents tonight? In this darkening world, which is, yes, just as black, just as spiritually dark, and deceptively so, but just as dark as Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Will God preserve us and save us and our children? The sign of baptism says yes. The promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Notice the powerful words in the catechism. No less than the adult. That which baptism reveals, entrance into covenant, redemption by the blood of Christ, and the Holy Spirit poured out. It was given to our infant children 
no less than to the adult. Let that sink in, beloved. Don't forget those words. Not only do, do the Baptists need to hear that, adults, we, you and I, need to hear that. Because as adults, we, we often exalt ourselves. That's our human nature. That's our pride. And what do we do in our exaltation of ourselves? We think we're better than our children. So hear it. Adults, you who have mature bodies, brains, with the ability to speak and, and confess your faith and even articulate it in a, in a precise manner and according to the, to the doctrines of the Reformed faith, hear it. Your children and the little ones who cannot yet speak, whose brains are not yet developed, who are very weak, who have to be carried about and fed by you, they are no less than you in God's sight. You are no better than them. And He saves them. And He fulfills His promises to them. No less than to sinners like you. The main problem you see with most Baptists, not all, but most, is that the Baptist believes that salvation and the covenant is conditioned upon man. That's the main problem. That explains why it is required of adults to first accept Jesus Christ and then and confess their faith, and then and then the sign of God's covenant is given to them. And thus, the covenant and salvation and the washing away of sin is conditioned upon age, the ability to understand, the ability to will, with a free will, choose Jesus Christ. That lies behind most Baptist arguments and insistence that only believing adults can be baptized. And the catechism comes and says, no less than the adult. God saves little children. God's Word says even something stronger. We read that in the forum today in Luke, a parallel passage of Mark 12. Luke 18 says, Jesus says in that passage, of such, meaning of such infants, is the kingdom of God. And more to you adults, to us adults who must be humble. Verily I say unto you, Jesus says, whosoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter therein. I said most Baptists, not all, insist upon infant bapt or insist upon no infant baptism, insist only upon adult baptism because behind their theology of baptism is a conditional salvation, conditioned upon the free will acceptance of Jesus Christ. But while that is true for most Baptists, there are some who are Calvinistic Baptists 
whose confession at least is that the covenant is unconditional and that God saves us merely by grace. But we say then about those who are Calvinistic Baptists, that while your theology might be sound regarding an unconditional nature of salvation, the problem is that when God would intend baptism to show forth the comfort of salvation to us and to our children, to the whole church, the Calvinistic Baptist hides at least part of the comfort which God would have His church see. That's what's so serious about a denial of infant baptism. One of the problems with the Baptist view is also what is called a dispensational view of the covenant. A dispensational view of the covenant is not only the thinking that the covenant is an agreement that is conditioned upon man's work or will, but a dispensational view of the covenant is that the covenant is different for the people of the Old Testament versus the people of the New Testament. That's one of the main problems of Baptist view of the covenant, which leads to a denial of infant baptism. So that in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament people, the Jews in particular, were saved a certain way. And then in the New Testament, God's church is saved in a different way. And those who are infected with this dispensational mindset so that the covenants of God and the Old and New Testament are separated and made different, may hear this sermon and the proof text that I bring up in the sermon, from the Old Testament especially, and this is what the response will be of a Baptist. They dismiss it. You quote from Isaiah 44, they say, well, that's Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. That's not for us. Today, if we refer to Genesis 17.7, for example, how God has established a covenant with Abraham and his seed, then the argument is, well, that's for Abraham and the Old Testament Jews. It's different for us today. And if we refer to the sign of circumcision and how circumcision was administered to adults and their infant children, the argument is, well, that was the Old Covenant. Not for us today. Only, you see, if a Baptist can see that the covenant of God is the same covenant of grace that was administered to the Old Testament people and the New Testament people. The same bond of friendship and fellowship in Jesus Christ. Only then will there be a recognition that if God saved graciously the Old Testament 
church in their generations, then it must be that the same covenant of grace that is administered to us in the New Testament is for the salvation of us and our children as well. A couple of Baptist arguments that would seek to answer the Reformed position as we have heard it tonight. The strongest argument, yet very weak, is the argument by the Baptists that in the New Testament there is no explicit reference to infant baptism. And while we humbly acknowledge that there is no explicit reference to baptism of an infant. There are many implicit references to infant baptism. For example, as you should know, the many household baptisms illustrated in the book of Acts. There are two in Acts 16 in the city of Philippi. You remember one of Lydia and her household. Then listen to the baptism of the Philippian jailer in his household at striking Acts 16:31 through 33 and they said that as Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and immediately this is at the point of his conversion believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house and then they continue and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his, straightway. The entire household was baptized that very night after the head of the household was converted. The children and the servants baptized because the promise is to you and your children. Another answer to the Baptist argument that there is no explicit reference in the New Testament to infant baptism is this. The, the, the Baptist fails to recognize that much of the history that they point to is in a mission field context. Most of the book of Acts especially, which shows forth adult baptisms primarily, remember, is in, the, is in the mission field context as the Word of God is going forth, especially the Gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth for the first time in many places. Of course, there's going to be mainly adult baptisms. That on the foreground, and the household baptisms, which included children, in the background. And the third answer to the Baptist argument that there's no explicit reference to infant baptism in the New Testament is this. There's no need for one. There's no need for one if the covenant God has shown His unchanging covenant. We sang of that again and again tonight. God's covenant is an unchanging covenant. It's a changeless covenant. It's a covenant that is essentially the same. It's not dispensational. It's a covenant of grace. And so think, for six thousand years in the Old Testament. 
God saved His church, which included believing adults and their children. Did He change His mind in the New Testament? No. The burden of the proof is on the Baptist to prove that God changed His promises as being only two adult believers. The basis of baptism into infants is that God promises to fulfill salvation in Jesus Christ, both for adults and their children. Notice that word promise. That's what the catechism brings up as well. He promises. The promise is no less for infants as to adults. It's not this. The basis of baptism is not what is called presumptive regeneration. That's something that needs to be clarified because in Reformed circles, sometimes this is a matter of misunderstanding. Abraham Kuyper's view was that the basis of infant baptism is presumptive regeneration. Which means we baptize infants because we presume upon their regeneration. They're, they're already regenerated. Every single one of them. We presume upon it. And that's why we baptize them. That's nowhere in Scripture. That's not only nowhere in Scripture. It's a very weak basis. And it leads, presumptive regeneration leads to a laxity in raising our children, as parents especially. For if we presume that they are already regenerated, then parents are not seeking, praying, disciplining, earnestly in educating their children in the home. The basis of baptism is not presumption of their regeneration already. But it's the promises of God to save us and our children in His time, in His way, to bring them into covenant along with us, His people. And finally, one of the best defenses for infant baptism against the Baptist argument is not only knowing Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, not only understanding that the promises of God do not change, but one of the best defenses with infant baptism is this. Your life. Young people, children of the church, your spirit-filled life, your confession of faith and the life lived consistent with that confession of faith. For beloved young people, think. If we claim that at baptism, 
the promises of God to pour out His Spirit upon us and our children are displayed. And then we turn around and we live our lives as though the Spirit is not poured out upon us. What does that say? It speaks against the promises of God. And it brings upon the church the Baptist attacks and the attacks of the world around us. How can you claim that the promise of the Spirit is poured out upon you as you live that way? The best defense, or one of the best defenses, against the attacks of infant baptism is that the children who have been baptized in this Christian church live as though they have been baptized by the Spirit of God. That's what we see in Isaiah 44 as well. There is a resulting confession that after the Spirit is poured out, here's what we find in verses 4 and 5, they, that is the children, the offspring, the seed, shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses, and one shall say, I am the Lord's. Another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. What a picture. The child who grows up in the church and receives the promises displayed at baptism is compared to a seed in the dry ground. And upon the dry ground of the church, weak of herself, there comes the Spirit like water. And the child who has been baptized grows up among the grasses and grows up like a huge willow tree growing by the stream or compared to Psalm 1, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the picture of the child who has been baptized as a fulfillment of the promises of God shown at baptism. And when he grows up like that tree, Isaiah describes him as one who confesses the name of the Lord. He says, I belong, I'm the Lord's, verse 5. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, that confession is sincere. He makes confession of faith in a church like this one. And he does it out of a heart that is truly believing in Jesus. Such is the result of the Holy Spirit being poured forth upon His people. So beloved, especially you young people and children, you have been baptized and have grown up in this church. Is your life showing the promises of God displayed at baptism, fulfilled. Do not allow your life to attack those promises, to bring blasphemy against the truth of God and His gracious salvation to us and our children. I know, beloved, 
as God's people who have received those promises, who are in God's covenant and have experienced His mercy in Jesus Christ, that you want to, by His grace, you desire to have the truth of your baptism displayed in your life because you desire the glory of this covenant God who has been so gracious to you and your children to live your life as those who have the Spirit. Let the Baptist in our community and the world all around us see this true promise of God to this church, this Christian church, to save believers and their children is true. It's true here in Hope PRC. So let that be. Amen. Merciful covenant God, we praise Thee for Thy mercy to us, for Thy covenant promises that are everlasting, which is true for us and our children, for infants no less than sinful adults. We thank Thee that Thou dost wash us by the blood of Christ and by His Spirit. We ask, O God, that with the sacrament of baptism, Thou would display these truths to us, reminding us of these promises and assuring us of Thy mercy to fulfill them. And help us, we pray, as a church, as a covenant community, as children, to live our lives consistent with that which Thou hast shown to be true of Thy people. And that for the glory of Thy name, the glory of Jesus Christ, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hope prchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.